Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 40, the Udonis Haslam of the Walder Sportscast. As always, I am your host, Chris Walder. Catch me on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. And if you want to support me in the podcast, be sure to leave a rating and review when you're done here so more people can check out the show. So we're slowly but surely winding down to the final days of the regular season, and that rings true for any Toronto Raptors fans out there because it has been an absolute grind getting through this recent stretch. And I'm not undermining the team or anything, but a lot of key guys have been out. The playoffs are now out of reach. It's just been a rough season all around, and everyone is absolutely sick of Tampa at this point. So joining me today to talk all about it is my former colleague and all-around nice guy, William Liu, who is a Toronto Raptors reporter for Yahoo Sports Canada and the co-host of both Run It Back with Alex Wong and Raptors Over Everything Live with Josh Hart. We also used to work alongside each other at The Score, and he has roots at Raptors Republic as well. Very few people will have quite the unique perspective Will does on this crazy year and where the team is headed in the immediate future. I have questions, and do you want answers, so we'll try to cover as much as possible. But before I bring Will on, may I recommend that once you're done here, obviously, that you go back into the vault and give a listen to last week's episode with Sandra Appia, the mastermind behind the Dishes and Dimes basketball podcast, and a fantastic follow on Twitter at Sandy Side Up. I think it was Nikias Duncan, NBA Twitter famous and incredible writer Nikias Duncan, who said that he was happy to see Sandy get more of a spotlight, and I concur. We had a really nice chat, even briefly touched on her anxiety doing other shows, but you would know that from our chat. It was incredibly fun, and you should go out of your way and give it a listen when you can. With all of that being said, though, William Liu will be joining me after this quick break. So keep it locked. William Liu, a Toronto Raptors reporter for Yahoo Sports Canada and the co-host of both Run It Back and Raptors Over Everything on YouTube. Will, thanks for coming back on the podcast, buddy. Always happy to speak with you, Chris. You know, you're my guy, so. Well, thanks, man. I mean, it was good getting to chat with you recently once again on the Raptors group chat. It was nice getting a chance to kind of catch up briefly and, and just talk some hoops again. I mean, Raptors group chat, of course, being one of the many, many shows you either run or appear on. I mean, with all of the ways you produce content, Will, whether it be penning pieces or recording podcasts or doing YouTube videos these days, do you have a preference over the others or is it just all a part of the job at this point? I still like the podcast format the best. I think it creates the most space. Like when you're writing, generally speaking, I mean, you know this as a writer as well. Like you're going back, you're editing, you're going back, you're editing, and it comes out with something really refined. And then when you're doing video, like you're just like, even though you can get experience with it, like you're still a little bit self-conscious as to what you're doing. You're a little distracted sometimes, like especially like you might be wondering how you're looking or like if you're looking into the right camera or anything like that. Whereas like podcasting is just like two people having a conversation or sometimes one person having a conversation with themselves or multiple people having conversations. And 
I think that's probably the most like normal way to interact. So I still prefer podcasting. I mean, you seem to have mastered the art of doing the one-man podcasts, which I greatly admire. It's not easy to go on there and talk about, especially a losing Raptors team, for like 30 minutes to an hour. Like, how long did it take for you to get comfortable just like talking basketball by yourself without a co-host or a guest at that point? Yeah, I'm going to let you in on a, 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 you know, a secret. It's uh, So I write 10 things after every game, which is about 1,000, 1,000, you know, 200 words. Right. Like, at that point, I've already sorted out most of my thoughts on the game (laughs) just by writing it out. And, of course, over the course of the game, I have notes. So then it's not like I'm reading those notes, but I have a lot of, like, okay, this is is what I thought was important. Here's some research that I did for it. And so it's a little easier that way. But, I mean, I think, honestly, the biggest part is you just got to get over the vanity aspect of it. Because, you know, you got to be pretty vain to do a a solo podcast (laughs) in any context. For me, it's just easier for timing because... Uh, I could always get a guest, but it, uh, it it's like double the workload. And when you're talking about working at 11 or 12, you're trying to minimize workload, <laughs> not doubling your workload. So it's got to be really worth it. But uh, no, it's it's fine, man. I'm, I'm happy people really like the format. Just got to keep it going, man. Listen, I, if anyone who st- is still listening to Raptors content at this current point in the season, when they're about to play games with Chris Boucher and Gary Trent Jr. as their go-to players, then... Um, you know, I, I just wish you the best, but also there's there's plenty to do in life. Well, look, man, this season has been an absolute chore, and you and I are going to get into the Raptors season in just a little bit, but I made this joke prior to recording with you. It's that you, you seem to be appearing a lot in my YouTube feed as of late, uh-huh. and one YouTube video that I had the pleasure of catching recently was when you and Alex talked with Savannah Hamilton on Raptors Today earlier this month, and the topic at hand was May being Asian Heritage Month. And one moment I remember quite vividly was when Alex was talking about not needing a designated month or time to honor women or or black people or Asian people, and it shouldn't feel like checking off a box because there is value, obviously, in having diversity in the room, especially since basketball fans are a pretty diverse group themselves. And you and I chatted about this back in June of last year when we were talking about your experiences as a basketball journalist. And we even brought up how our former employer, uh, there weren't a ton of diverse voices at that company. So since then, Will, and obviously kind of a wide perspective can be skewed because of COVID-19, but are you seeing any positive strides in this field as it pertains to being more inclusive and having more diverse staffs because that's one thing I certainly enjoy about Yahoo Sports Canada is that it does seem extremely diverse. Yeah, I actually do think there is momentum on this front um, and I don't want to be overly optimistic but I think what it is is people are starting to realize the optics of some of what they're doing and now that their biases are very transparent rather than uh, hidden and so especially for media companies, like they're outward facing. So especially with these um, campaigns going on, people are really taking notice. And so I I really do think that more places are trying to make more space. Now, of course, I think that there's still a long way to go. um, Mm -hmm. And it probably shouldn't have taken this long for people to realize that. But at the same time, I really do see some positive progress in this front. If only because some people are getting shamed into doing it, which, you know, whatever, man. No matter how change comes, as long as it's the right change and stuff is in the right direction, then, you know, I don't really worry about um, the motives behind it. But I mean, I think, you know, that's that's part of the, the challenges of sports media. And I think, honestly, it's like one of the big one of the biggest challenges of sports media in particular is just like the, the lack of women that are right. allowed these opportunities. And I think that like even like, I remember 
you know, four or five years ago, there were these conversations about like, oh, you know, like, you know, we're going to have women in the locker room. Is that going to be awkward for some of the players? And it's like, man, grow up. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? Like, what what do you mean? Is it awkward if someone does their job in front of you? It's like, well, the players are in towels. It's like, well, they're professionals. And also, like, maybe don't always be in towels. I don't I don't know. (laughs) But um, in any case, though, yeah, there's there's still a long way to go. I I think, you know, especially with something like the media like there is a social responsibility to when you're publicly facing front to sort of um there's a social responsibility to represent the people that that, that watch the people that listen and you know especially in the place like toronto like toronto is 50 percent immigrants uh and i was looking at the numbers like it was like 30 percent asian in the gta area right it's like 12 percent chinese like 12 percent south asian like you know lots of people from vietnam korea you know, Iran, like, I mean, first off, Asia is huge. So like, yeah, it's like 30% Asian. So, you know, I think I kind of expect that to see that kind of percentage in most workplaces, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Talking about being in those locker rooms, are you, are you ever able to kind of take a step back and essentially soak in how far you've come personally and where your story has taken you? Because not having a sports or, or broadcast journalism background, you know, starting off as a fan and then busting your tail with these columns and these podcasts and the 10 things and the content which this broader fan base is hooked on now to being present at these games pre-COVID, asking questions, doing this featured work for so many big media brands. What do you think the basketball fan William Liu from your pre-media days would be saying about where you are now and how much you've accomplished? Yeah, no, I, I do think about it sometimes and it is hard to like um, take in. I, I mean, I feel very proud. I feel very proud. I think... And I would say that I feel very grateful to that a lot of people have open doors. Like, I think that's the biggest thing in in any industry. You need to know some people. You need some people to invite you in. Sure. And people to give people opportunities. And, of course, at that point, it's your own personal responsibility whether you take the responsibility and take that opportunity or not. But, yeah, I feel very grateful, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of people who have, you know, helped pave the way, helped open doors. Um, Obviously, like, Blake. Blake Murphy is, like, one of the first people that ever got me into media. Um, He gave me a chance at Raps Republic. You know, uh, you know, even people at the score, like, you know, Blake helped me get in the door there, but a lot of people there helped me get opportunities there. Um, and then that carried over to Yahoo. And of course, like that was just a perfect confluence between like Yahoo expanding and, and wanting to expand the Raptors coverage. Yeah. And me knowing Dan Tolman, who was the boss of Yahoo, uh, who was leaving Yahoo, by the way, to go to, uh, you know, Sportsnet to head up their audio division. So good luck to Dan. He's a great dude. But yeah, knowing him from that score experience and then him, you know, wanting to expand the Raptors thing. And then, of course, the Raptors like literally winning the championship the year I got there. So like th- <laughs> these are all great experiences. But, uh, you know, and looking back at it, I remember like like last, I guess over a year ago when I was last at my parents' house pre-pandemic, I was rifling through like the uh, the basement and they had some boxes of like old stuff from like what I was doing like 15, 16 years ago. And I found this like one old like notebook where I actually wrote, I was slipping through it and I was probably like grade seven or grade eight. And I wrote out like, for some reason, I wrote out every single player on the 2008 like Toronto Raptors. (laughs) And I was like Jermaine O'Neal, like kind of old, kind of stiff, poor fit at power forward. Like Chris Bosh, franchise icon, can't lose him. Uh, it was like Jose Calderon, elite assist to turnover ratio. Like I actually had these notes right now, and I was like, "What was what was I doing with this? Did I always want to do this? Because maybe that was the whole that was like destiny in in some sense." But yeah, I found an old notebook with some of these things. It was basically the first ever ten things I've ever written. So uh, it was that was kind of cool. 
Were those notes legible? Because I remember seeing some of Blake Murphy's note-taking, and I think it went viral on Twitter. You couldn't understand a word he was saying. Were you at least able to comprehend what you had written out back in the day? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, Blake, Blake, honestly, Blake, so, I mean, this is a podcast medium, so you can't see, but Blake has, like, a, a full, first of all, he has a full-on composite notebook, which I don't think anyone has had since the 1930s. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Blake Murphy has the notebook that, like, Charles Darwin wrote his, uh, you know, theories on evolution. In, in any case, in that notebook, he says he has specific, he invented specific notation to be quickly able to jot down. Because what you're seeing in the notebook is basically a play-by-play, which you can look at on ESPN or whatever. But he has like specific plays. So like a pick and roll would be like plus, the plus symbol. Or like, uh, you know, a, a pin down would be like a triangle symbol or something like that. And he would just have like specific notations that he created himself. He basically created his own basketball language. Blake is <laughs> Blake is absurd. He's he's like so far ahead of everyone in this game, and um, you know, also just a tier one human being. So shout out Blake, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Blake Murphy is a gem, and I mean, working alongside the likes of you and Blake. I've seen the work put in. I've seen what it takes on a game-to-game basis. And there's very few media members out there today who put the work in quite like you will. And I have to think that during a season like this for the Raptors, not making the NBA playoffs, those losses piling up, that perhaps the work itself for you has taken a sharp turn because we've grown so accustomed to winning basketball and these high levels of optimism, which isn't currently there. How have you had to adjust your style this season, the way you cover the team with the Raptors going from a playoff and finals threat to now waiting for the lottery to unfold? Like, has it been difficult for you to not be overly negative this season? Yes and no. I think, honestly, I would be more negative if the Raptors hadn't won the championship before this, right? Imagine the Raptors went through this whole thing, but it ended in 2018, and then we had this season afterwards. Like, it'd be way more miserable without the idea that, like, I think once you win, you have some perspective. Um, I really don't think that, like, there's too much to be mad about. I think circumstantially, like, they, they've obviously been screwed this season. Right. And also, you can critique the players' performances. And, you know, of course, I'm not going to say that some of these losses weren't, like, emotionally devastating in some sense. But it's just not the same anymore. I don't know. Like, I just, I think we just have, like, a grace period. Like, I think we're very comfortably in that grace period two years since the title where, um, yeah, you can accept a down year. Now, of course, I don't think we want to accept multiple down years i think that's where people really start to fall off the bandwagon and things like this right but um you know i I think it's still quite honestly i haven't really had to like purposely curtail any of my courage because i just think that like people really expect like a true fair reaction so you know as long as i'm being fair to the players and things like that and fair to the team and the coaches like I think it's fair to feel frustrated because some of these losses i mean like you know i started calling pascal siakam roll off the roll off the rim to lose. He's he started calling him Tim Hortons because it, it was honestly like six or seven shots have rolled off the rim to lose games. <laughs> so, no, I mean, you know, obviously that's that's a little unfair, but, uh, you know, it's you just take the season in stride and, um, you know, that's part of sports. It's, it's like life, you know? You're not going to win all the time. That's unrealistic. People have their ups and downs and you just got to, gotta you know, just be a, just be an adult about it. Well, how long is your personal grace period when it comes to the Raptors? You win the championship in 2019. What year has to come before you're like, okay, we have to be a championship-level team again? All right. You know what? I, I don't know specific the amount of years, but as soon as the Raptors no longer have any player from that run on the roster, then, <laughs> then the grace period ends. So if you trade Pascal, if you trade Fred, you know, that's, yeah, we'll talk. 
No, we'll have to talk. We'll have to talk. I mean, I guess OG and Boucher were around for it, but they didn't really play. Right. OG was hurt and Boucher was third string. But, you know, yeah, those two, Fred and Pascal. Well, a lot of fans tend to believe that this season was doomed from the very beginning, not being in Toronto and having to play in Tampa. And you've been a part of those video scrums where it's come up more often than not how badly the team misses Toronto. And I think even after that recent loss to the Clippers, Chris Boucher addressed the subject as well. So from the beginning of the season to now, how have you gradually seen being away from home, being in Tampa, how has that affected the players, the coaching staff, and and how high on the power rankings are you placing Tampa on why this season went south? Yeah, I think it's a big portion of it. I, I think, honestly, the number one thing is COVID. Um, they lost five players. On, I mean, it was five players who were in the rotation, including three starters. Yeah. You know, Fred, Pascal, and OG, those are three of the four most important players on this team, right, with Kyle. So they lost all three of those guys. And then when they came back, they weren't, like, full 100%. You know, Fred will talk about how they would play great first halves, and then they lose their win in the second half. Because, like, you know, it turns out battling a respiratory uh, illness is, is not easy to overcome, especially when you're playing at the very highest levels. So, yeah, I think that's number one. But Tampa is up there, too, I think. Um, I think really it's just, I think it's a psychological edge. And I know that sounds kind of like iffy, but I really do think that like when you are in a foreign place, there's no fans really there and you're kind of like ready to like mentally give up the, let go of the rope. Cause you know, mm-hmm. if you ever played sports, like sometimes you get frustrated. You don't know if you can summon the energy once again to make another 15 point comeback or whatever. Uh, and you sometimes mentally let go of the rope. And I think when you kind of get into that sort of habit, then you're probably going to start to really start losing on a consistent basis. And I just didn't think that that would exist if that they played in Toronto. Like, obviously, you know, the, the pandemic and people have to make sacrifices and whatever, man. I mean, we still got basketball, so that's not that big of a sacrifice. But that's a big difference. Like, I honestly think that's a big difference. I think when you have 20,000 people in your ear and they're very passionate and no one's leaving and Herbie Kuhn is, like, threatening people, it's <laughs> uh, via the PA system to get up on their feet and cheer for this team. You're gonna do it, and the players are gonna respond to that. And I think that having that is is a big, 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 big factor. But you know, it is what it is. It's a fake season. We can just be salty about it and forget it ever happened. this program to bring you a special report. Before we get back to my interview with William Liu, just a friendly reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, the absolute best when it comes to below-the-belt grooming for men. Go balls to the Walder with the Walder Sportscast and Manscaped. And if you haven't heard, my friends over at Manscaped have just released their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, which features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. And I encourage you to pick up the Lawnmower 4.0 or any of Manscaped's amazing grooming products. So with this exclusive offer, you will receive 20% off your purchase with free worldwide shipping when you use the code WALDER at manscaped.com. Proper grooming is key for all men out there, and let me tell you, this shaver is the cream of the crop. We're talking a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. We've got a 4000K LED light for those precise shaves. We've even got a wireless charging dock with electromagnetic induction so the battery doesn't die out on you nearly as quickly. It even has multiple guard lengths with multiple sizes as well. If you're shaving your face and your master of ceremonies, shout out Austin Powers, with the same shaver, 
you're absolutely doing it wrong. And that's also kind of gross. So eliminate that problem altogether with Manscaped and the Lawnmower 4.0. So get 20% off and free shipping. That's free shipping with the code Walder, W-A-L-D-E-R, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com by using code Walder. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now, back to my conversation with William Liu. Well, the Raptors are currently 27-42, and 42, and you look at some of their last victories. I mean, Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry went ham against the Los Angeles Lakers, and then the team was, I believe, at full strength against the Cavaliers, who were also looking to drop games, but they also had that four-game winning streak sprinkled in prior, and they sat a lot of guys and still beat the Thunder, and they did the same with the Orlando Magic. They beat the Spurs without Lowry and Van Vliet, and this recurring question that keeps being brought up is did the Raptors do enough to bottom out? And the more you look at it, what else could they have possibly done to be any worse, right? Like, do you fe- do you see it that way, or do you feel the team could have made more of an effort towards worsening their record to be that ultimate goal, to get a higher draft pick? I think it would have been fair to critique their process coming into the Detroit deadline. I think, you know, you might have looked at it in December. I remember writing a piece then of like, yo, this team's kind of average, and you have two, you know, players on expiring contracts and Kyle and Norm, what are you going to do? Are you going to get a center and really shape this up? Or are you really going to, you know, just bottom out and pull those guys? At that point, I think it's totally fair to sort of discuss the direction of the season. And if you wanted to tank then, there's a credible argument to be made that they could have tanked starting then. Right. But post-trade deadline, and I know what you're talking about. I mean, let's be honest. It's because four uh, Raptors voices came out with similar articles. Around the same time, okay. <laughs> Michael Grange wrote one. Uh, Josh Lewinberg wrote one. Stephen Long wrote one. And Dave Festchuk wrote one. So that the four pieces coming out at the exact same time, right after that Wizards game where the Raptors technically could have still done something. You know, they were like three games behind, but they had the tiebreaker against Washington. Washington's one of the teams they're trying to catch. You know, like, okay, you know, what are the Raptors going to do? And they rested Kyle Lowry, and people kind of lost their minds about that. And they lost in overtime. And so a lot of these pieces are written. And I, I, you know, I just think that that's a little bit disingenuous for for many reasons. I think, number one, post-trade deadline, it was pretty clear what the Raptors were doing. Maybe at the deadline itself, it was a little odd because they kept Kyle. But post-trade deadline, all they've done is rest Kyle. He's he's played 9 of 25 games (laughs) since the deadline. (laughs) And if you look at the nine wins the Raptors have had since the deadline, A, it hasn't impacted the lottery odds because... They're in the seventh best position right now. In order to get to six, which is Minnesota, they're five full games ahead of them. Right. So just it's not like those nine games were the one the difference there. Even if they lost like four more of those games, they're still not in that position. And then, you know, so I, I just didn't think that that was the case. And then also if you go through the actual games that they won, I'm not trying to discount the Raptors' effort. But it's a a lot of the times they rested guys and they still won. Like they rested guys against Cleveland. No Kyle, no Pascal. I don't think any. I don't think Fred played, but Gary Trent Jr. has 44 points and Malachi Flynn has 20 and 11. What are you really gonna do about that? You play Golden State. Steph Curry's not there. It's the second game back to back. They beat him by 50 points. What are you gonna do about that? You play Orlando. Yo, name five Orlando players right now. That's like the hardest challenge in the NBA is to name Can't five Orlando Magic players, right? <laughs> it's like Chuma Okiki is like number three if, if that people would list at this point. So 
it, you know, that's that's a game you can't lose. And of course, they rested. I think you know uh, Pascal and Kyle. So like, there's a minimum number of games you just have to win. I mean, you go into an NBA game, one person wins, one person loses. Like the Raptors won, you know, a couple of games. That's that's fine, but it hasn't impacted their lottery position. And I don't think it's, you know, I, I think that any criticism of them like not fully leaning into the tank. If you made that argument post trade deadline, just don't think that's accurate. Right before the deadline, sure, but I mean, you you would probably need to have made some harder decisions than they they actually ended up making. So it's 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 a little too late, you know, too little, too late. I think from some of these uh, arguments. Well, you briefly mentioned his name there, Malachi Flynn. And I want to ask you about him quickly because he's been a pleasant surprise this season. He got quite a bit of run over the past several weeks with, with Van Vliet and Lowry sitting, of course. And I think he needs to get those percentages up, but he has shown a lot of promise. And this kind of coincides with Kyle Lowry and his upcoming free agency because we don't know what the future holds there with a potential new deal. And obviously, in an ideal world, we keep Lowry for at least another season at the right price. But have you seen enough from Malachi that should the Raptors lose Lowry, you're at least optimistic that Flynn can not replace Lowry per se, but offer up some quality production as a potential number two point guard on this roster, barring some sort of offseason acquisition? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's it's only fair to say that. I think, you know, Malachi winning you know, Rookie of the Month, uh, obviously not LaMelo that month. You know, if LaMelo played, he would have won. But of course. You know, he he had a pretty good run. And I think, you know, once Malachi started getting minutes, um, it really changed his game. I think there was a stretch there where Malachi had uh, between, you know, basically the month of February, right? Um, he averaged 33 minutes per game over a 10-game span. He, he scored 14 points a game, averaged six assists, five rebounds. You know, his steals were around two a game. His defense was just solid overall. Didn't shoot the ball that great. Uh, from two-point range, but shot at, at a really good rate at the three-point range. I think, you know, you, you got to give him a chance, I think. And he's really shown you that when given more consistent minutes, he could do it. I think the, the thing with him is he's still inconsistent, right? So like, you'll see it even within games. Like in the last few games that the Raptors have played, you know, he will have like really quiet periods, but then he'll be really, you know, strong in the second half or really yeah. strong in the third quarter. And I think one thing that for him is just he needs to... F- Get into the paint a lot more. And every time he gets into the paint, good things happen. I mean, he's got good quickness, so he can usually blow by, especially if he's got a switch. I mean, I saw, like, in that Clipper game, he had Paul George on him, and he dropped Paul George, like, two or three times. <laughs> and, and so, and Paul George is an elite defender, right? So, like, I think he has quickness to the point where he can get into the paint. Whether he could finish at the basket or not is another question. I think he's small, and he can probably pick his spots a little bit better. It's probably going to be the same deal as Fred. Like, Fred gets to the paint, but then he'll get blocked if he shoots. And probably Malachi is the same, but once you get into the paint, that's going to open up opportunities to kick out to shooters. That's going to rotate the defense to you, and he can find Ken Birch or whoever is following the play at the basket. So he's just got to get into the paint more often. But I, I think, honestly, for a rookie year, he's shown quite a bit. I mean, the last rookie to win, you know, rookie of the month for the Raptors was Norm Powell in 2016. And that was like the month of right. April, which is like you play like seven games, you know, okay, whatever, right? Like before that, it was like, I don't even know, like JV? Terrence Ross or something like that. So could have been. Yeah. I, I think I, I think Malachi's got good potential here. He clearly has a good skill set, and um, it's really just about finding that consistency, which is uh, you know that's probably the biggest challenge for all rookies. But uh, you know he's uh, he's on his way. Is there anyone else in that second unit, Will, who you want to see in an expanded role moving um, forward? And I'm talking about DeAndre Bembry, Yuta Watanabe, Freddie Gillespie. <laughs> who do you think shine the brightest for you this season? That you're at least anticipating what comes next for them. 
Yeah, this is a this is a hard this is a hard question because I if anything, I would like to see these guys in contracted roles. I feel like I would I like them more the less they play. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> the more they play, I'm like, oh man, there's some real limitations here. Like, I think Bembry has shown a couple of things. Um, you know, he's had some really nice moments, but it's also like, it's just, I don't know. He he, he gets prone to turnovers, which is strange because he's generally a very smart player, but, uh, and he can't really shoot the three, although of late he's been shooting the three, but on the season he's made like, I don't know, 10 threes. Right. I mean, let me check the specific number he's made. I don't want to be dishonest. 13 threes. <laughs> See, there you go. I shortchanged the man. 13 is totally different. <laughs> um, you know, Freddie Gillespie, I, I like his energy. Uh, to be honest, there are some games he really. He th- thrives and i think it's a it's a matchup thing for him like to play bigger guys uh i think he can really uh because he's a big guy but he's also quite athletic and uh, quite energetic and so he can kind of outwork some big guys gets get on the glass it's got soft touch very limited offensively and i don't know man it's basically the guys that i feel comfortable with on the bench next season would be chris boucher who i think has been great off the bench all season has been their yes. best bench player you know full stop malachi running that bench unit you know with chris and then, you know, if you put Gillespie at center, okay, I don't hate that. Um, and then, you know, on the wing, probably Utah. And then I just think they need one more score in that group. And maybe Jalen Harris is that guy. He's been giving some chances here. Although I, th- I think he still has a long way to go. Plus, he needs to get a new contract. So it's not a guarantee that he's going to be here. But otherwise, if they don't get that, then that's probably where the lottery pick slots in. Like, get a guy who can mm-hmm. score a little bit, can make some plays and play him off the bench. I, I could see the bench turning it around because... Benches from year to year are very, very up and down. But, yeah, at, at the moment, uh, there has not been a lot of great bench play, which has been one of the biggest weaknesses of this team. They just they kind of yes. suck. Uh, the bench <laughs> sucks. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Will. No, it's true, though. Like, every game, you'll see, like, oh, man, Robin Lopez outscored the entire Raptors bench. And you're like, really? Robin Lopez? Word? So. <laughs> well, I, I know it's almost sacrilegious to question Masai Ujiri, Will, but looking back on how everything unfolded with losing Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka and then bringing aboard Alex Len and Aaron Baines, you know, mind you, he gained some goodwill with bringing Kem Birch aboard. He may be our starting five moving forward. Shout out to his mom, Wendy Sparks, who's going to be my mm-hmm. next guest on the Walder Sportscast, okay. by the way. Okay. But All how right. much how much blame do you think Masai Ujiri deserves for how that whole saga unfolded with the center position? Or was he just a victim of circumstance and that was literally the best he could muster up with who was available? Yeah, um, honestly, at that, that point with who was available in free agency at that point, yeah, it was kind of true. Um, so the only thing is, I thought that the Raptors would talk to these guys ahead of time. You know, of course, that's technically tampering, but, um, you know, it, is it really tampering, right? So, like, maybe <laughs> right. tell Serge about the number. Like, yo, Serge, we're going to the offseason. You're a free agent. Obviously, we like you and you like us. So this is the number we have for you, $12 million. Are you going to be comfortable with that, right? Because once it seemed like once Serge saw that number in the offseason, he was like, wait, that's it? You know, you know, like okay, maybe I gotta look for more options, right? And he gets a two-year deal with the Clippers, uh, even though it's worth less money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think maybe the same with Mark. So maybe in that front, maybe they could have uh, been a little bit more uh, just jumped ahead of that situation. But if you look at the free agency situation, once both those guys left, the the next best center 
was pretty much Alex Len, who they did sign. They yeah. didn't really work out. For some reason, they dropped him really quickly. He's done well with Washington, which has been great. But Aaron Baines was one of the best names available. And he had a really nice year last season. Honestly, I was kind of excited because I thought Aaron Baines is coming to do a little bit of what Mark did. Uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, it, that clearly just completely backfired. And then if you look at the pool, it's like, all right, did you really want like, um, you know, who was out there? Hassan Whiteside. Like that's... Ugh, that that yeah. was the kind of level it was dropping off to. So, yeah, it was thin. Um, but, you know, if I, if any mistake was there, maybe you just, like, let people know about these numbers beforehand so you have more of a runway, especially with your own guys, right? Like, right. You, you you have a relationship with Surge. It's not like just a random team pulling up to Surge and being like, hey, we have this mon- money for you, right? But, like, the Raptors could have talked to Surge about that earlier, and then that could have informed how quickly they move. Because when you're in free agency, like, you really have to move super, super quickly. You know, to have plan A, plan B, plan C. I'm sure they did have all those plans, but, you know, that that affected things. And I think the other thing is just, yeah, they were clearly trying to go after Giannis. Oh, and Giannis had not so. signed his extension at that point, right? So they were trying to keep that door open. Once that door closed, it was like, all right, so the Raptors have what they have, and it wasn't a lot, especially at center. Um, and then they kind of moved into a position where, okay, we'll sell the trade deadline. They, they moved on from Norm. And then they were like, okay, now we're going to tank for the pick. So... It didn't. Uh, it, it does make some sense in retrospect. It's maybe not satisfactory. It's not like best case scenario, but you know, I'll, of, of course, you need other people to sort of commit to these things too. And I think Surge taking less money to go to the Clippers is something that you know maybe you can't anticipate, but it's also n- not necessarily something that it's within Masai's control entirely. But then again, with the Surge thing, Surge just played half the season, so right, yeah, you know, wasn't going to save you necessarily signing Surge. <laughs> Are you at least optimistic that Masai Ujiri is going to be sticking around? Because we've seen those reports that negotiations are going to be starting soon, and some have projected he may leave the NBA altogether. I'm not sure of the likelihood of him joining another organization, but how do you see this all unfolding with Masai? I see it unfolding with the Raptors getting Masai a contract. That's like maybe not necessarily like a five-year deal that locks him here. Uh, maybe like it's more like two, and we have to sort of push this thing down the line a little bit. But yeah, like... I, I the idea that like Masai is just gonna leave the NBA doesn't really fully make sense to me. Like, why would you work so hard to get to the top of your profession and then just leave? Right. Like it does it doesn't really make sense. And then this argument's like, well, you know, he's very he's clearly a very philanthropic man. You know, he wants to develop basketball in Africa, and it's like that's true. Look at the amount of stuff he's done for basketball in Africa with his work in the NBA and that platform and that access and the people like. If you want to be able to do this, like I think being in basketball makes the most sense, right? And he's clearly not a guy who's shown that much of a willingness to leave sports. So, you know, maybe something could happen. And I'm sure Masai has incredible opportunities. But, uh, yeah, I still see him resigning with the Raptors. And listen, MLSC, like, if you're going to charge us, like, $100 per month for really, <laughs> really average phone coverage and, like, ex- ridiculously expensive phone plans then yeah, maybe you could use some of that money towards Masai. I don't know, man. He might be the best thing that's ever happened to the Raptors outside of Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, and, and, and Kawhi Leonard. Like, maybe, you know, maybe take care of this guy. I don't know. Could you make the argument that Masai Ujiri has taken this iteration of the Raptors as far as he can go? Or maybe there is some sort of a exciting challenge in trying to get the Raptors back to the promised land. Maybe he sees some, you know, maybe a reason to stick around just for that. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know if he necessarily looks at it like that way, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think that he's taken this current group like that, that current group kind of peaked. That peaked with the championship, and so then it's really about building the next group. And you take what you have now and you kind of build it forward. But I, I don't think you look at it like, okay, this team sucks. I'm going to j- jump ship. Like I, I don't think general yeah. managers think that way. 
I think players think more that way because players have much more finite careers, right? You, one year of, a, of an NBA player. Like an average NBA player plays like five years in their career or something like that. Like obviously one year is like 20% of your career. Whereas like for a general manager, they can manage. Like how long has Jerry West been around, man? This guy's sure, this yeah. guy drafted Kobe and then he's like now running the Clippers <laughs> and it's been like 30 years, right? So yeah, I don't think Masai's going to think that way. I think he's going to make the best decision for himself and his family. And, you know, I still think that that's squarely in Toronto. I think he... The Raptors have given him tons of latitude to, um, to to sort of live multiple lives and pursue multiple interests. And I think that's great. I think the ownership connection is really great. I think, to be honest, one of the things that if you want to be a philanthropist, you either need to be super rich yourself or have the ear of many, many rich people. And I think sure, Messiah yeah. has a lot of ears in Canada. So Well, I want to end this Raptors talk on a more positive spin, Will, because this season has been depressing as hell. And we've talked a lot about it, but... You know, which moment of this season for the Raptors do you think you're going to remember the most fondly when it's all said and done? Because you can look at the all-women's broadcast against Denver, for example, yep. or maybe Gary Trent Jr.'s game winner, possibly Fred Van Vliet's 54-point game. What's the one defining moment of this season for the Toronto Raptors? Positive is uh, is is optimistic. And I was asked about this recently. To be honest, I don't have a great answer because there wasn't that like one overwhelming positive answer i think the old ones broadcast is as close as it comes i've really really enjoyed it obviously it was a very it turned out to be a huge game that was a game where it was sort of like an early funeral for for kyle and norm because those guys yeah. were about to go in the trade deadline that was like a really you know big factor it was also the game itself was great they were playing denver and that was before jamal went down and they blew the doors off denver like everybody was was on one and like the broadcast itself obviously was historic and super important but it was also just like really great to watch like i really enjoyed like kia nurse being on the broadcast and like giving us game like you, you at one point the nuggets went to a zone early on because the raptors are you know were kicking their ass and um you know megan mcpeak who did a great job in the play-by-play you know she asked like hey w- you know when the team zones you like what's the way to counter and kia was just like you know what you want to do is set the same screen so you normally do you obviously want to get on transition as early as possible yeah. if they if they're overloading on this side of the floor you want weak side action on the other side of the floor you want to come you know, obviously want to you know have people in the high post like it was just really a high level conversation that we were having and i really liked how they respected the audience in terms of like their knowledge of well, the game and trusting that people will be able to follow and they're not going to tune out just because someone said we need to set a, a pin down over here, right? So that was really cool. And, you know, honestly, the, the basketball product itself was pretty low. So if you ask for, if you ask about positive <laughs> experiences, you know, it, it is harder to find. Like, yeah, Scary trying to hit a game winner, and that was fun. But, like, that was a random game against Washington. It, it had very little stakes. The, the Fred game against Orlando, I mean, it was Orlando. Like, it, it again, it had very little stakes. And... I'm not trying to deny those kind of great moments, but it just didn't hit the same way. Or maybe it's just because, like, we've seen, like, OG's buzzer beater. We've seen Kawhi's buzzer beater. We've seen, like, you know, Kawhi's dunk on Giannis. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen Kyle start game, game six. Like, we've seen Pascal clinch game six. Like, it's it just hits different. I don't know what to say, man. It's it, I just can't get <laughs> as excited. Because <laughs> Gary Trent, like, dropped Rahul Neto. <laughs> oh, yeah. game 60 of the season like it's, it's just not the same for me man and i'm sorry i, I kind of moved past that point look man i'm trying to put a positive spin on things that's what i try to do and this season you tried buddy you tried a for effort anyway <laughs> but this season it's been easier Absolutely. said than done man but uh again this has been a lot of fun man i appreciate you coming back on but before we sign off here like we did the last time you were yeah. on i do have some fun rapid fire questions to send you on your way all right let's do it
So I scoured your Twitter, Will. That's what I do for my research. And if anyone knows how to bust out okay. a solid Pokemon meme, it's you, my friend. So answer the age-old question. Charmander, Bulbasaur, or Squirtle? Oh, wow, this is tough. Obviously, I've made this decision at least five times. You know, Pokemon <laughs> loves to remake their games. Definitely <laughs> Pokemon Red, had Pokemon uh, Yellow, and Pokemon uh, Fire Red. I think they made one again, like X and Y or something like that. I, I think know. so, that, yeah. That generation, I skipped. This is so tough. Okay, so... It depends on the game. That's the real answer. Because in the original game, the first ever game, picking Charmander is just impossible. It's not impossible, but it's very hard. You have it to play is. a very specific strategy. You know, at that point, it doesn't like, so in Fire Red, for example, they give Charmander, they give Charmeleon uh, Metal Claw, which really helps you get around like rock types, which is one of the big things that you have to get around is obviously the first gym. But he learns Metal Claw if you grind, so you know you can you can pick Charmander. In the original game, it's just harder to pick Charmander, so I will probably pick Blastoise in the original game. But I think Charmander is just cooler. Uh, I know people, you know, say Charmander is overrated and things like that. I don't care. Charmander is very cool. Like you can catch tons <laughs> of Pokemon. Turns out you don't have to be attached to your starter. So I'm still picking Charmander overall. But number I saw number two is is horrible for me. And Bulbasaur is very viable as well. Um, very good Pokemon, especially in the first game. It's probably easiest to play through with uh, Bulbasaur turning into Venusaur eventually. But, um, you know, I think the coolest one is Undeniably Charmander. I know you said Lightning Round, but you need nuance in that answer, man. Come on. Dude, I've been calling this a rapid fire segment for so long. This never goes as quickly as, as, I, as I anticipate. And especially because I want to go more in depth about that answer. I mean, you said Charmander. You know, obviously you're at a disadvantage because you go against Brock first and then Misty is yeah. the water gym Bro, leader. Misty the is impossible. Type. Misty is impossible. <laughs> like, let's, okay, let's just go into this. If you're going to even beat Brock, right, you have to grind your way to Charmeleon. And then you really have a hard time even beating the Onyx at the very end. That's yes. going to be very tough. The best way to do it is you have to catch a Nidoran and then probably get it to Nidorino and then have it learn double kick and use Nidorino to get past the first gym. But then if you get Nidorino, that doesn't really work that great against the psychic, you know, Pokemon that Misty has. So you need exactly. to catch a third Pokemon. You got to grind your way to catch a random Pikachu in Viridian Forest. And then maybe you can use that Pikachu to, to, to beat Misty. But at that point, you've already trained two Pokemon, which like, are you really going to take a Pikachu, which is not a, even a good Pokemon, but you're going to take a Pikachu, maybe a Raichu, if you evolve it. Uh, and, you know, like a, a Needle King the rest of the game. Maybe Needle King's more viable, but like, that just, it, it sucks. It sucks to play with, with Charmander. <laughs> yeah. It just sucks to play with Charmander in the, in the original game. Have you seen those stories recently about Pokemon cards no longer being sold at, at Walmart and Target in the United States? Like, people are drawing guns on each other over this. It's taking me back to my childhood. Not necessarily because we were sneakerheads or anything like that. We weren't like, people are collecting them now because they see everything as assets. And it's killing people's actual hobbies, which is really sad. Whether right. it's sneakers or trading cards or whatever, right? But no, I mean, but then again, like, you know, I totally understand being like uh, really into cards. I remember like, to be honest, I'm not proud of this whatsoever, but I used to like teeth money for my parents so I could spend like 60 bucks at the local convenience store to get discounted Pokemon cards because I knew the guy like, and that's, that, you know, that's, that's, that's really the wave. That's really how people have been moving about Pokemon cards and, and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and um, maybe even magic. <laughs> um, for for quite some time, so I, I do sympathize and understand, even though I do condone this behavior. I hope your uh, folks aren't listening to this podcast because you may owe them some money from back in the day. There, I mean, they're, they're my parents. I owe them for a lifetime. There's nothing I can really do to repay them. So, 
But I do appreciate it, Mom and Dad. I hope it didn't affect your finances too much. I know back then we were definitely uh, struggling a little bit, but I needed uh, I needed those packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I asked you about what shows you're you're binging the last time we talked, and you brought up Ozark and Killing Eve and Insecure, but you also mentioned that you don't spend too much time watching television and that you'd rather watch obscure soccer highlight compilations on YouTube. So... What's the most random okay. soccer YouTube package that you've watched that's brought you the most joy? Uh, so recently, I mean, literally <laughs> right before coming on the podcast, I watched the highlight pack of the 2005 uh, FA Cup final between West Ham and Liverpool. And that was the game where Steven Gerrard famously had two goals, including one from like, I don't know, 40 yards out. In, in extra time to, to force uh, penalties at the end and an assist and then he scored a penalty and Liverpool won the FA Cup that year that was that was probably very random I, mean, I don't know I've been watching a lot of random YouTube content though recently like I got into playing um, Civilization Civilization 6 okay it's particularly so I've been watching a lot of playthroughs trying to learn how to play the game and uh, there's a lot of like nice playthroughs but the thing with Civ is like it takes I don't know seven hours to like finish one game so yeah you can also imagine that the playthroughs themselves have like six or seven episodes and they're like an hour each so i've been uh, binging on that and to be honest listen i have a lot of time in the pandemic you know i'm just indoors all the time the raptors are miserable and uh i gotta gotta find other ways to entertain myself so well YouTube you, it is. <laughs> when you were outdoors you and alex used to film in several locations during the early days of run it back and even around the nba originally you've been at the george street diner the alley the fun house you've been at shea tau in quebec city from what you recall what was your favorite location to record the show at man it's gotta be shea tau honestly no i mean I, there was a lot of great places i think um i think george street diner became very nostalgic for us although to be honest i really you know like breakfast foods so it, it, it was, they had great orange juice, but the, the rest of the food, it didn't really personally sit well with me. It was good food. I just, I didn't, I don't like breakfast food. Yeah, it was Shea Tao though. Cause I think first off, like we had, we were really nervous about launching the show. And like, I remember like scouting locations in Quebec and we, they flew Alex out almost specifically just to do that show, which is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, back in the days where we had money and, and, and our support and, and pre-pandemic and things like this. Right. Uh, and it was just a really nice location. Like they, it was like a really cool fusion bar. They had really cool drinks. Um, the staff was super friendly. We went back later that, we went to the place three times. Once we went to scout the location, the second time we went to shoot. And then later that day, we went for Alex's birthday. Cause oh, his okay. birthday is sometime in September. So we went to that bar and like, it was a great time, you know? like. Lots of great drinks, lots of great uh, food. Um, to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of like fusion Asian places because I feel like it's disrespectful to just like mash three cultures in one. Like, okay, it's, it, you know, you wouldn't really go to a restaurant and have like uh, <laughs> like whatever people eat in Britain, like pies and stuff. <laughs> and then like you also expect like Greek food there, but also expect like French food. It just it doesn't hit right the same way. But the food was actually quite good itself. And uh, yeah, honestly, Quebec City was very fun. It's a great place to be if you want to be there for like three days we'll give it to the people straight tell us why cats are superior to dogs cats are superior to dogs because like they just need less from you like i don't know why you would get something that needs a lot from you do you not have like enough people in your life that you need to support uh <laughs> cats are very easy to take care of they groom themselves they use the bathroom on their own they kind of flush their own toilet by burying their own um feces and things like this 
and you just gotta feed them twice, you play with them for like 10 minutes a day, they're happy. Yeah, cats are just a lot less maintenance than dogs, and to be honest, I have a busy life. I don't wanna be taking care of a dog all the time, and, and also, you know, to be honest, when you're outside and there's dogs everywhere, you gotta accommodate this dog. No one's gotta accommodate my cat. They're just sitting at home, they're chilling, like, you know, I don't have to be outside and then like uh, this dog's running up to me then I gotta stop what I'm doing, pet the dog, pretend I'm not afraid, and then move on with my life. The cats have never done this to me, so <laughs> uh, that's, this is why cats are better. You own a couple of cats, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I own two cats. Um, and they're lovely. You know, they're bonded. They're brothers. They, uh, they groom each other. You know, I'll just wake up randomly in the morning and they'll just have two cats. Like, for example, this morning I woke up and two cats were just sitting right by the windowsill, both looking outside. Um, it's, it's mad adorable, especially if you get like, I think honestly, and not to be sexist about cats, this is a weird thing to say, but like <laughs> apparently male cats are just like, especially after you get them neutered, like, or spayed, um, they're just way friendlier. I don't know what to say. So I think, you know, a lot of the negative attributes are attributed to female cats, which is, uh, again, not trying to be sexist about cats. This is just what I've heard. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, so don't hold me to this. So on a recent episode of Run It Back, you gave your top three karaoke songs. And unfortunately, you crapped all over Numb Encore by Linkin Park and Jay-Z, which is a classic in my views. Yeah, but you're entitled to your opinion, man. But it brought me back to... <laughs> The recent Freddie Gillespie viral clip where he was singing Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus as part of his rookie initiation. So Will, if you were looking to go viral with a video of a current or former Raptor singing any song you like, which Raptor would it be and what song would they be singing? So I'd be doing a duet with this Raptor? No, it could just be the Raptor singing by themselves. Hell, if you want to start singing okay. with them, by all means. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. The, the, the players are way too famous, man. I don't want to. I don't want to have that level of fame. It's, it's freaky. <laughs> um, what player? Damn. Uh, what's that song with like? Um, yeah, like I would love to see like Kyle Lowry do like a Nicki Minaj like Anaconda or something. Do you know oh, what I mean? Like yeah. just really lean into the ass portion of it. There's a lot of music made specifically about asses and <laughs> kyle is just needs to be in this video like kyle should have been in the um in the wap video like you know they had they had like the the 100 percentile of asses in that video in the first place like kyle should have been in there i'm sorry that was disrespect i'm you know like uh they, they should have had kyle in there Cardi and uh, megan you guys you guys should have figured that one out I have this weird desire to see OG and Anobi sing Rocket Man by Elton John. I don't know why that entered my head, but I think that would be absolutely hilarious. That would be great. And honestly, this one is probably the closest to actually happening eventually, but I would love to see Nick Nurse get up there and sing us some like classic Coldplay. I know he plays the piano. I know he knows like the basic chords, which is all you need to play Coldplay. <laughs> Take this from actual experience. It's all you need to play, like The Scientist, or Fix You, or Yellow, or A Rush of Blood to the Head, like all these other songs that Coldplay had originally. I know, I don't know. Nick has definitely rocked out to these songs because he was in the UK at this specific time in the early 2000s when when Coldplay was at its peak. So Nick, get on your guitar, get on your you know keyboard, and you know give us some Coldplay, man. It's still a pandemic here in Canada. We still need your help. Will, are you low key a Coldplay fan? Yeah, oh, high key. I, I, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I, I haven't listened to Coldplay since like that weird, what's that album called? Milo Zyloto or something like that. Yeah, that yeah. album was trash. But before that, yeah, definitely. X and Y. Uh, uh, what was the other album? Viva La Vida was okay too. Uh, the original ones, were, they're all pretty good to be honest. You know, 
Coldplay and Oasis, man. This is, you know, you know, you know, I'm a big Oasis fan as well. Like, yeah, I have a thing for uh, UK bands, turns out. I was about to say, which band do you prefer, Oasis or Coldplay? I still prefer Oasis. I just think that Oasis is, um, A, their discography is better. Like, they have, like, Agreed. many more albums that are better than Coldplay. And I just, I don't know. There's something that feels really quintessentially British about Oasis. I think part of it is, like, the whininess that Oasis has. There's some sort of, like, like an FU element to a lot of the music. Um, <laughs> there is, yeah. <laughs> and it's like very blunt. Whereas like Coldplay feels like uh, homeless, like and not in, not in like a negative sense. I mean like it doesn't really belong to a place. It feels like global music. Okay. And sometimes I think that's Coldplay's like initial strategy to like turn their music to be more global because then obviously they're a bigger band than, than Oasis is right now internationally. But um, it just it feels placeless um, in a way that Oasis feels very quintessentially like British to me. And I kind of I always like that you know the music to have some kind of root. And I know where Oasis stands. Like that, that's that, hell yeah. There's some angst from the days of growing up in like Manchester or Liverpool, or wherever the hell they're from. Hell, man, Champagne Supernova is still one of my most listened to songs on Spotify. I'm very proud of that. There you go. And it's like 10 minutes, so you, you really got to spend some time to listen to it. It's like almost a podcast. <laughs> the, the, the long drives back to Scarborough. Uh, Champagne Supernova on loop, let me tell you. But uh, and, and lastly, Will, with the Raptors now officially out of the playoffs and the fan base without a team to root for, Give me one or two teams you believe Raptors Twitter should get behind during these upcoming playoffs. Okay, so first off, my real answer to this is don't get behind any team. Just hate on all the teams. Talk trash about all of them. And then when people go back and they're like, well, what about the Raptors? They're not even in the playoffs. Well, you can't talk anything to us. You just spam them with like Kyle Lowry championship trophy gifs. Like, there's so many. Just search Raptors championship on Twitter. You don't even have to like, do any work. Just, just pick any of the gifs and send them out. Um, so definitely number one is hate them. But number two, I think the most fun teams to really hop on the bandwagon for right now are number one the knicks the knicks are insanely fun to hop on the bandwagon i know this is a hard thing to hear because i think for a lot of like day one the raptors fans you know raptors knicks was a thing they played the playoff series you know there's a you know toronto new york there's maybe a little bit of rivalry or whatever forget all of that the knicks are just insanely fun they're the number one fun team in the nba this year it's very fun to root for them they're the underdog every time they win it feels like a miracle even though they've won tons of games this year julius randall's playing at a super high level you can go with the rj barrett you know from mississauga angle which mm -hmm. is very valid uh, the only negative thing is you have to root for derrick rose but otherwise like it's it's a really really fun team to root for and that city has incredible energy that fan base is something you want to be a part of uh, so if you're going to jump on a bandwagon, hop on the most fun one. And then out west, you know, to be honest, I don't really identify with that many of the fan bases. So I will say Portland just because they have a team arc that is very reminiscent of the Raptors pre-Kawhi. Sure, Whereas, yeah. like, they, they had two guards, they're very good, all-star level, but they just go into the playoffs every year. They have a Euro center in the middle, you know, in Nurkic. Not the same as, you know, JB, but to be honest, you know, some similarities there. Um, kind of and, you know, they have Norm, who they've acquired to be their playoff hero. And as a Raptor fan, we know Norm is good for, like, two or three excellent playoff performances every year when you <laughs> least expect it. Don't expect anything else otherwise, but just in that specific <laughs> two or three games you need him the most, Norm will be there and he'll be great. Which is, you know, to be fair, that's 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 all you need from him. And they're just kind of fun to root for. Their fan base is kind of like Toronto's, you know. And you know, if they got over the hump, I'd be pretty happy for them as a group. I just don't think they will because they don't have a lot of like front court help. But you know, it's it's a fun team. I think Melo's been really fun to root for. I think Melo in New York became so controversial that like people didn't really want to yeah. talk about him. 
But since he's gone to Portland, it's been super fun to follow Melo's career. He's always smiling. He's always yelling at Yusuf Nurkic to get, you know, <laughs> I got that shit, get that shit out of here, whatever that he says all the time. You can always hear it in the in the broadcast. And, uh, no, that's that's a fun team. But, you know, realistically, they're going to break your heart. But if you're only borrowing them for, like, you know, two or three weeks, that's not a bad team. Well, thank you for not saying the Clippers or the Bucks because that probably would have ended no. very poorly for you, my friend. But, again, this Although, is I got to <laughs> say, I, that could be that could really be the championship this year, which is uh, uh, I hope it's not. unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, know, God. You're not betting on it, are you? I still think it's Lakers and Nets, but I'm open to being proven wrong here. If, if okay, I want to see one fully healthy game of LeBron first before the playoffs. Yeah, that's all. That's fair. Because I understand, like, LeBron has a playoff gear. Trust me, nobody knows that better than Raptor fans. Nobody. But if he's not 100% healthy, he's not, like, a superhuman. Right? He's still a human being. Like, if his ankle is, is messed up or whatever, then I really do worry about them. Well, if he any- even plays one healthy game, then yeah, they're the champion titles. They're the championship favorites again. Well, anything but Bucks and Clippers. Uh, Raptors Twitter has been through enough. Lord knows we don't need to see that in the NBA Finals. But, Will, my man, this has been so much fun. I thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man, but I always love chatting ball with you and catching up. But... Before we sign off, my friend, remind the listeners where they can find you on the web. Yeah, listen, find me on Twitter uh, at William underscore Lou. You'll probably find all the work I'm doing there. And also, you know, just, uh, you know, follow Yahoo Sports Canada. We're putting out as much work as possible. Even though the rap is out of the playoffs, we're still trying our very best to put out content to um, entertain everyone in this time. And um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Walder. I mean, this is always very fun talking to you. That's probably why I'm so talkative when I'm here, because I miss you, buddy. So thanks for having me, as always. Oh, I miss you too, man. Thanks again for doing this, and do your best to enjoy this playoff run. I know it's hard without the Raptors, but uh, I expect plenty of quality content coming our way from you. Yeah, will do. And that was my interview with William Liu, who you could follow on Twitter, at William underscore Liu. Bless his heart for having to cover these final games for the Raptors, but I'm looking forward to his content nonetheless, and I'm also holding him to a potential visit to Lindsay, Ontario one of these days. I could show him the many Tim Hortons locations we have around here, perhaps grab an ice cap, which I drink far too many of, but if you want to sponsor the show, Tim Hortons, I'm definitely open to the idea. This has been episode 40 of the Walder Sportscast. Please leave a rating and review if you like what you heard today, and be sure to check out the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean. I believe we're even on Amazon as well. And don't forget to use the promo code WALDER over at manscaped.com to save 20% on your next purchase and get free shipping as well. That's promo code WALDER at manscaped.com. On next week's show, I'll be chatting it up with Wendy Sparks, the host of the Courtside Moms podcast and the mother of Toronto Raptors center Ken Birch. So stay tuned for that. For now, that's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. 